Aren't you glad to be able to say, I'm redeemed? Amen. Amen. Well, we're looking forward to a good time in the Lord today. And with the many blessings of God that is upon us, we thank God for His grace. Maybe you have a request in your heart you'd like to make known as we would pray that the Lord would just speak to you today, minister to your life, to your heart. He knows exactly what your need is. Dear Jesus, we want to thank you for your grace, Lord. And for thy mercies to us, your mercies that endure forever. And Lord, we thank you for that, those mercies that are new every morning. And so, Lord, we know, God, you're just continuing doing a renewal of the Holy Ghost. And we're asking, God, your blessings upon us today that we can just enter into your presence. Lord, that the Holy Spirit will speak. We've certainly heard enough from man in this day. We want to hear you to speak, Lord. So, Lord, just use these human lips of clay. and Lord, demonstrate your great glory in our midst. Bring healing and deliverance to your children. There were hands that went up everywhere, and you saw their needs. There's requests, Lord, that have come in all far away from India. A little sister asking for her husband and baby. Father, you're God. We just ask, Lord, that the healing virtues will flow from the throne of grace to their knee today. May, oh God, you just speak peace to them. And they know, Lord, that it is shalom, that there is a message that has come that brings peace and brings strength in our time of need. Lord, you're the healer and the deliverer. Lord, for your children that has assembled together, they lifted a hand toward you and said, Jesus, I need you. Father, how that must make your heart move that in Laodicea, in the last and greatest evil age, that there's a people that says, I need you, Jesus. When others says, I have need of nothing, they say, I need you, and I recognize my need of you, and I'm inviting you to come and deal with my heart and move in my life and bring deliverance in my situation. I pray, God, that you'll grant it in the name of Jesus Christ for your glory. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I, I just feel like singing an old song. Let's just, let's just sing that song, I Got Peace Like a River. Amen. I mean, believes his peace is like a river. Amen. It surpasses all understanding. And that peace can just come and sweep away all of your grief, all your worries, all your troubles, every other problem. And just move in by the Holy Ghost and just put a settled calm in your life. Amen. Oh, my, may he do it this morning for your life. Amen. We want to welcome you today, every one of you. we got the Pruitt family here. Amen. All the way from Hot Springs, Arkansas. Glad to have you and here with us. God bless you. Each one, Victor, good to see you today. Each one that has come 
whoever you are, if I hadn't seen you in a while, well, you know, if I know you by name or don't know you by name, you're welcome today. But let's welcome the Holy Spirit and let him speak to our hearts now. I got peace like a river. I got peace like a river. I got peace like a river in my soul. I got peace like a river. I got peace like a river. I got peace like a river in my soul. Well, now that's pretty good for an infirm ward or somebody that's in the hospital and gasping their last breath. Let's see if we can sing that again and mean it from the depths of our heart. And come on, let's worship God together. Amen. Let's sing it now. I got peace like a river. That's better. Like a river. I got peace like a river in my soul. I got peace like a river. I got peace like a river. I got peace like a river in my soul. I got love like an ocean. I got love like an ocean. I got love like an ocean in my soul. I got love like an ocean. I got love like an ocean. I got love like an ocean in my soul. Well, I got joy like a fountain. I got joy like a fountain. I got joy like a fountain in my soul. I got joy like a fountain. I got joy like a fountain. I got joy like a fountain in my soul. Amen. Aren't you glad to have that joy in your life? Amen. A peace that surpasses understanding. Amen. A love. Amen. That can reach right down to every heart and life and change us in his presence. Amen. While you're making your way to Ephesians chapter 1, we'll start with the first verse there. I want to just say, I appreciate your prayers for me while we were gone. Karen and I left and we're away. Actually, um, you, you got a really good pastor's wife. She let me go and do a wedding on her birthday for Brother Kirkman. And, and then on Wednesday night, I preached on our 44th anniversary. So... You know, um, yeah, you'd have gotten in trouble for that. Don't try it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Everybody knows Sister Jessica. She's wonderful. It's Brother Joe we have to pray for. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. But anyway, you know, we had a great time in the Lord, and God was so good to us. We just had an outpouring of the Spirit of God and moved in a wonderful way. We was with Brother Brad Burgess on Sunday, and then on Wednesday night was over Brother Nathan Bryant, and I just want to report the Bride of Christ is alive and well. Amen. Amen. There's a, a moving of God everywhere that you go. As we sometimes sing this song, all over the world, God's Spirit is moving. Amen. All over the world. And I believe that He'll move in your life today, and wherever you are, those of you that are listening in, that He'll move right there in your home. Wherever you are, God will move and speak to your hearts. By the way, just, um, um, just uh, a report that come in as I was talking about that. Uh, someone the other day was listening to the services and over our, our uh, fall meetings and the Holy Spirit just fell in the room. 
that they were in, and God just moved in a tremendous way. Got a report back from Sister Carol Kinzer, where that then we sent the prayer cloth to them. It was laid, up, laid on her. She was dying with cancer, and she said she has no pain. It's all gone. Her symptoms are gone. She's not on any kind of medicine. God's done a work. Amen. We're just going to believe with her. Amen. That it's done. That her enemy is dead. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's read together. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. How many can say, Mama, that's me? Amen. Amen. The faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. You know, I, I just love it in the, in the diglot where, where, where we can read from Romans chapter 8, 29, and it says, for them that he knew before, that he also did mark out to be copies of himself. So if he chose us in him, he chose us to be copies of himself in his very image and his very likeness. Amen. Before the foundation of the world, notice what he chose you to be. Now, he didn't say you, he found you this way. He said, I chose you to be this, to be, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So he chose you to be holy. So, well, I, I'm, not very, I'm not quite there yet, Brother Tim. That's all right. He chose you to be there. Just keep walking in the vision. Amen. Because he's chosen you to be without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Everybody wants to be accepted, don't we? But how about being accepted in Christ? Amen. So he says, made us to be accepted in the beloved. In whom we have redemption. That's what we're singing about. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he had purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after ye had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. 
Amen. May God bless you. You can be seated. Wow, what wonderful words of life. And I tell you, there's enough in the scripture, I could probably preach a lifetime on it. That's right. We'll try not to do it today. All right, I'll do it. Amen, but it's so good to be, you know, able to look in the scripture and see yourself there, isn't it? Amen, to see yourself in so many exceeding great and precious promises. As I have a thought this morning on my heart, I'm going to be speaking on returning to the land of Pentecost. And as you know, I was inspired by this series of the people of the book have returned to the land of the book. As I went to Israel and I, and I viewed a lot of the different sites there. And, uh, you know, the, this is the land of Elijah or this is the place where David uh, picked up his stones from this brook. And, and uh, the, here, they, here was uh, this scene or this is where Jericho was or the different other places that you are pointed out to. And I just couldn't help but think of it as I walked over that land and visited the different sites. You know, that, that there is a people who is spiritually returning back to their inheritance. And of course, one of the places our, of our inheritance is the upper room, the Pentecostal experience. And I know there are those who maintain that we're not going back to Pentecost, but rather we're going back to Eden, and truly we are going back to Eden. And, and there is a promise of going back there. Eden will be the millennium ahead, and even more so, a true Eden in the future home of the heavenly bridegroom and the earthly bride. And we're going to go to the millennium after the marriage supper, and Eden, we will have changed bodies. But we're truly not in Eden until our bodies are changed from mortal to immortality. And of course, as we are speaking about returning back to the land of Pentecost, I, I want to get it clear and, and so that everybody understands we're not going back to Azusa Street. That was not Pentecost. That was a shop that looked like the grain again, but it wasn't the grain. It looked so close like it. It would actually bring a deception in the last day, a, a confusion among the people. I, I would often say, I've often said about the Azusa movement, it was incorrectly named Pentecost because it, it was not truly the return to Pentecost. Although that they did have some experiences there that resembled Pentecost and certainly an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But we're not going back to Azusa Street. You know, and, and, um, but we're, we're going back, not, not even to something that just remotely looks like the truth or the true Pentecost. We're going back to the original Pentecost. Now, I, I just want to throw this out as we go along. You know, uh, Jesus would use the, um, the, the resemblance of the church and would liken it to a wheat seed or grain that is planted and it would go from there to the stalk and, and then to the tassel and to the ear of corn. So it would go from, from grain back to grain again. In other words, what it was when it was planted, it would be what it is when it's harvested. 
And so I, we have the different stages that we can look and we can say, well, Luther was the, the stock and Wesley was a tassel and, and Brother Branham would identify um, the Azusa Street movement as the shock that looked like the grain. Now, that's not a de, de, derogatory um, term, really. They're part of the plant and they're part of the plan of God and they were a move of God. And so he, he wasn't trying to be derogatory to him. He just was saying by that, it's not the grain. It's not exactly what was planted at the beginning, even though it's starting to look more like the, it than the tassel did or the, the stalk before it. But it's not the grain. But then, but I, I just want to throw this out as we go along. If the Azusa Street movement would be a shock that looked like the grain, then how come we have some who claim to be the grain and they look nothing like Pentecost? Amen? Amen. They resemble Baptists or Methodists or something else more in their worship than they do Pentecost. So you see, you know, you, you, have, to, you have those who want to brand the true move of God as an Azusa Street movement, and that's because their worship is really a Baptist or a Methodist worship. So they don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. There's hardly a healing among them. You know, Baptist easy believism has been accepted as the baptism of the Holy Ghost. For like Baptists, they claim to receive the Holy Ghost when they believe. And they have no resemblance of a book of Acts church. And, and I just want to say for those that are concerned about us going back to Azusa Street, as far, as far as I'm concerned, you have nothing to worry about. We're not going backwards, we're going forward. Amen. Azusa Street was not the return to Pentecost. Uh, we, we've had young children, you know, that have, have never been to an Azusa Pentecostal meeting. And they don't even know what, what it is like. I mean, most, most, um, most of them have never, ever been even into an Azusa Street Pentecostal church. They, they don't, like I said, they don't know what it's like. So they're not copying their worship. Amen. Amen. And sometimes people want to, you know, say, well, you know, we ought to restrain them. And, and, and so they, they kind of get out of order. Well, sometimes they don't have real good church manners. Amen. That's, that's what happens. They don't have real good church manners. Amen. But sometimes you got to get out of order long enough to get saved. Amen. And so, again, as, as for me, you know, I, I just want to say um, we, we, will not, we will not keep our young people or our old people from worshiping God and from praising his name. And man, we, we, we're just like, they didn't like it when, when um, they were worshiping Jesus and throwing the palms down and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And so they said, Master, restrain your disciples. And he said, hey, if they don't cry out, the rocks are going to cry out. And I'll just tell you, somebody's going to be a worshiper of God in this day and hour. I'd not rather see them, you know, get excited in the house of God than be excited in a movie or something out here in the world. Are you with me? Amen. I'd rather see them with stammering lips in the house of God than stammering lips at a ball game. I'd rather see them moving by the Spirit of God and rejoicing in the things of God and enjoying church and enjoying the presence of God. 
Amen. Now, as far as me, as a young boy in the message, I received my experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost in the message, and it was an experience and not a mere confession of faith. Amen. But it was an experience with God. Amen. And we, we want our young people to have the same. Some critic wrote me, wrote us the other day, and I just sent them back this because they thought maybe we might ought to give our young people, uh, some, some of our people, a little bit of um, instructions on, and correction on some things. And I just, I gave them for this uh, on the cruelty of sin. Brother Branham said, you say, people that scream and shout and go home, brother, that's what it is. Why? You say, that seems crazy to me. That's the reason you ought to be born again. When you're born again, then it won't be crazy. You'll be with us. They thought the same as you did one time. That's right. They thought the same as you did until they got it into themselves. It's a change, a conversion. Convert means to change. Amen. So I believe in a real change, don't you? Amen. Praise God for that. And he says, and, ex, and except a man dies out to himself and say, Lord, I don't know nothing about it. Just take me in. He said, amen, then God will do it. And I pray God will do it for you. Amen. Now, this message is a message to call to go back to where the church fell from. To go back to the upper room experience. Brother Branham would tell us in the message of the church ages, he said, God tells them to remember. Speaking of the first age, evidently something had left their minds. They had forgotten something. He told them to turn back in their minds to their point of origin. The origin of the first age was Pentecost, and they had fallen from it. They had forgotten the glory and the wonder of it. It was time to go back in mind and then in reality. Back to when they could say, for me to live is Christ. Back to purity when Ananias and Sapphira was dealt with. Back to the gate called beautiful. Oh, what a reproach it is to drift from God and to countenance those acts that defile his name. Let those who name his name depart from sin and keep their vessels pure for God. Look at what you were, once were in your heart and mind and your life, and then go back to it. And this is what he was telling the church, go back to this. Now, this is not a return to the day of Pentecost, nor is it a return to, uh, nor, nor is it a repeat of Pentecost. Now, I know that sounds contradictory, but I've got some things to tell you this morning about this. Let me just share with you a little quote in the Invisible Union. I want you to listen carefully to it. He said, let no man by his creed deceive you. You stay right straight in the promise of God, the word of God. And that word, if it's a word for this day, God vindicates it so. If he doesn't, it's not the word for this day. The word that fell on the day of Pentecost will not work this day. No, sir. That was for Pentecost. This is for the bride, the going home of the bride. And we got something different. The Pentecostals represented that again. We're in the bride age. No more than the word of Noah would work in the days of Moses. No more than Moses' law would have worked in the time of Paul here. He tried to tell them, you're dead to that and you cannot have it. Now, I just want to make some comments on that because we believe this quote. We believe what this prophet said. 
And I just want to say it again as we read it. I just want to say the word that fell on the day of Pentecost will not work this day. No, sir, that was for Pentecost. This is for the bride, the going home of the bride. We got something different. The Pentecostals represented that again. We're in the bride age. And I believe we're in the bride age. And I believe we got something different. Now, but I'm going to also say that you cannot negate or annul hundreds of other quotes by this one. By misinterpreting what it's saying. Now remember, there are literally hundreds of times we were told that Malachi 4, the promise of Elijah, was to turn our hearts back to the faith of the Pentecostal fathers. Amen. And the vision, the visions, and I believe Brother Branham's visions were true and that they never failed. You believe that? And he would have a vision of the bride. And he saw her starting out originally beautifully dressed and walking in step with the word. Amen. Is that right? And then he would see it digress and go into Europe and from Europe into America. And he would see the falling away of the church. And at the moment that he was about ready to throw in the towel and say, that's all I could offer God is this bunch of filthy dress women and, and, and worldly, worldliness, nakedness, and all the other filthiness that's going on. That's the best I can offer you, God. Let me just quit. And he said at that time, he said, but it said the bride must come again. And he looked and he saw that same group coming back again. Are you with me? Amen. And he said, she's exactly like the one that's in the first place, walking in the step of the music of God's word, marching on by. And when I saw it, I stood there with both hands up crying like that. And when I come through on my porch looking across the field, what? She is to be the same bride, the same kind. Built out of the same kind of material that she was in the first place. Now read Malachi 4 and see if we're not supposed to have a message in the last days that had turned the hearts of the children back to the fathers, back to the original Pentecostal message, word by word. And then he says, brothers, we are here. What a wonderful thing to know where we're at. Amen. Back to the original Pentecostal message, word by word. So what does it mean then? Because it's used so often and sometimes every time the the Spirit of God wants to move, they want to grab up something they think is something negative to it and contrary to it and, and throw this in your face and say, well, the word that fell on the day of Pentecost will not work this day. No, sir, that was for Pentecost. This is for the bride. They're going on of the bride. We got something different. The Pentecostals represented that again. We're in the bride age. So I want to ask you, and I want to ask you as an audience and anyone who would listen, what part of the word that fell on the day of Pentecost won't work for today? Is it that we no longer baptize in the name of Jesus Christ as the apostles did? That we no longer receive the power that was to be endued from on high? That we no longer believe in speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance? That we're no longer stimulated by the new wine. Oh, I hear a prophet who just said, just a few paragraphs before the one I just read, and he said this, and this, this winds up not getting quoted in conjunction with this other thought. You see, she's pregnant with something because she's bringing forth members all the time. 
but she don't want none of them screaming, hollering, blabbering to Acts 2.38 miserable creatures that she thinks they are. It would certainly embarrass her. It would ruin her and her educated, uh, et- ethical, scientific society church that she belonged to here. They would throw her out at the next council. She can't have it. So she don't want to be pregnated with the word because that's the only kind that the word can bring forth. Born of the Spirit. It has the Spirit of God in it. No intellectual church, joined, creed, going, bobbed hair, painted face. There's no such a thing as that at all in it. You don't find that in the Word of God. You find an old-fashioned, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled, hollering, uh, child of God, born of the Spirit of God, screaming, hollering, shouting, praising God. Amen. So, so what part? Of the word that fell on the day of Pentecost won't work for today. That the days of the apostles are over. That there's no more mercy. That the Lamb has left the mercy seed, and there's no more, there's no more mercy that Jesus cannot offer mercy that somehow another is transferred from him to the bride. You know, I have never seen it, and I'm just gonna talk very plain. But I have never seen such a time where, where men have been so desperate to remove the worship away and, and remove the deity from Jesus Christ. I've never seen such a time where that we want to take and move it from one to another and, you know, and deny the very deity of Christ. And the, and, the, and the part that he alone is the one that should be worshipped. Amen. You know, when, when we come to the place where we're teaching today that, um, that we, we can forgive sins or remit sins or, or retain sins and, and you got to stay in favor with the church and the pastor or else you're, you're not going to get your sins forgiven and, and those kind of things, that takes away from the blood of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, don't never put your hope in a man. Your hope must be on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Are you with me? Amen. So you see, mercy is not found in the other men. Mercy is obtained in Jesus Christ. And when man won't give you mercy, Jesus always will. And when man will not forgive and cannot forgive, Jesus will always forgive. And you never get in love with Jesus, you also will learn how to forgive and let go so that peace can come in your life. Are you with me now? So what part of the word, though, that fell on the day of Pentecost won't work for today? Days apostles over? Now remember, Brother Branham would say, in, in this day the scripture is fulfilled. But this day there's to come a super royal seed of Abraham. That's exactly what it's to be. We'll be a royal bride to the royal promised son. It won't be a natural seed. It'll be a spiritual seed. There is to be a spiritual bride raised up, which will be the royal seed of the royal faith of Abraham's son, royal son. She is to come on the scene in the last day, and the time and the place is a promise that is given to her. 
according to Malachi 4, a scripture that, that is to rise, a message that will shake the hearts of the people right back to the apostolic fathers again. There is to rise on the scene in the power of Elijah that arise on the scene, a wilderness man that will come out and will have a message that will run straight back to the word again. That's the hour that we're living in. So according to the prophet's word, then, then, of course, it's not that the days of the apostles are over. And then, as we have read, it's not that, that, you, you, that it negates the, the old-fashioned, sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled child, born of the Spirit of God, screaming, hollering, shouting, praising God. Amen. No, it's not that. So let's go ahead and look. Is it that God don't heal anymore? Is that, is that a part of it? Because, you know, right after the, after the experience there at the gate called Beautiful, a man that was sitting there and Peter had something to give him. I wonder if the church is running deficit today, that they no longer have something to give. Amen. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to thee in the name of Jesus Christ. So is it that, that signs that will no, no longer follow them that believe? That Joel 2.28 of I will restore, saith the Lord, or that, or that he's no longer pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. Or is it that sons and daughters no longer prophesy and that visions are now obsolete? What is it? What is it? Now, I know we're, we'll get into it in a moment because I have some answers for your questions that we oppose this morning. But listen, Brother Branham. He, he said, I will restore, saith the Lord, I will restore. Now listen, this is the message of the hour, is a message of restoration. Come on. Amen. Restore what? All the beauty she was at one time, I will restore the same church that I had at Pentecost. I'll restore the gifts of the Spirit. I'll restore signs and wonders. I will restore speaking in tongues. I will restore the prophet. I will restore all, saith the Lord. How many still believes that? Amen. Amen. Well, if you believe your prophet, then you believe it. Amen. So is it that then the bride of church of the last day will not act like they did at Pentecost? Well, let me just share you what he said again just a few minutes before that he did on this other quote we read. And another thing, what, what kind of children she is bearing. That tells what their papa is. Whether it's the first Adam or the second Adam. If the church brings forth a child of the second Adam, he acts the second Adam's way of acting like they did on the day of Pentecost, and that's the real, really true second Adam's children. Hallelujah. So now then we so we find then that must not be it. So you know, I wonder then how some believers have got under the wrong spirit and has become as dead as the denominations that they came out of. That the message that was to bring you into the spirit of the composer so that you can be on, this, on the right page of the sheet music. Amen. The same page that the composer is because there's a certain word that is to be played out at a certain time. Now, so now we're, we're just going to go on to it because, again, 
I'm asking this question because Brother Branham says in the mighty God unveiled, he said, that's what's the matter today. My Lutheran brethren, my Baptist brethren, my Pentecostal brethren, my brethren from all the different denominations, that's, that's what it is. You're trying to give a note that hit back in the days of Luther, Wesley like that, when actually the sheet music there shows that it's another day. And see, we can't live in the light of Luther. He was a reformer. We appreciate his part. But we played that out. We're way over in the back of the book now. We can't play it out like that. Now, that's the only thing that you're ever going to do it, my brethren, is this. And brethren of the world and the different parts of the world, I might say, there's only one way for the director to do. He's got to get in the same spirit that the composer was in. Then he's got it. And when the church, the symphony itself, where the world is watching for these signs and wonders, you see, they're under expectation when the church and the composer and the director will all get in the spirit of the composer. Then when they say the days of miracles is past, it don't hit the right note. But when you get in the right swing of it and the right spirit of it, how are you going to do it until the spirit comes down to the composer? Amen. And then when you say the days of miracles are never past, the sympathy cries out, Amen. And when we hit Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, the symphony cries out, Amen. And ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The symphony cries, Amen. I got it. There's no guesswork about it then. The whole symphony is right in harmony with the word. It's going. That's it. it. It's a magnificent thing. The director and the composer must be in the same spirit. And so must the musicians be in the same spirit to act it all out. And the world is wondering what's going on. Amen. I tell you, that's what we want to be. We want to be in the spirit of the composer. Because it is your time now to be on the stage. Are you with me? It's your time right now. You're the one that is playing out the sheet music of the day. So what kind of music are we playing in this hour? Are we in step with the composer? And Brother Branham said, and when we get that composer spirit... That original power of God that the Bible said men of old was moved by the Holy Ghost to write this Bible. You see them come together just like God's Bible and a believer will come together because they're both in the same spirit. They both need the same thing. They're both the same thing. They dovetail right together. What we need today is directors. That's right. Back to the word. Back and believe it just as it said. Then you see God himself. That's the unveiling. The drama is made real. And today, well, they say he's a historical God. We know he crossed the Red Sea. He did all of this. And he was in the fiery furnace with the Hebrew children. What good is a God of history if he isn't the same today? Man is ever glorifying God for what he did do, thinking of what he will do, ignoring what he's doing. That's just man to do that. And it's the same today, my brother, the very same thing. Let's get back and get the symphony playing right. Where the world can see, Jesus said, if I be lifted up from this earth, I'll draw all men unto me. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Let the directors get in the right spirit and with the musicians, with the composer, and everything will be all right. There's no guesswork about it. We're identified with him then. Hebrews 13 and 8 is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're identified with him in Acts 2. Amen. How many can say that this morning? We are identified with him in Acts 2. Now, apparently, then Brother Branham thought this is where the sheet music had turned. Because he said, we're identified getting in the spirit of the composer. And so, therefore, we are here on this page where Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit is falling again like it did on the day of Pentecost. What a promise that is. And so, how, how can you be identified with him, though, in Acts 2, when you won't go to Pentecost to the upper room? How can you be the bride and be like Judas who hung on, you know, hung on, you know, until he got to Pentecost and just before the Holy Ghost is poured out, betrays the Lord and, you know, with, a, with a, just a, uh, a kiss and, and, and some superficial show of love for Jesus and yet you won't come on in to the upper room and be filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, we got a lot that are showing their colors in this hour. Remember, Brother Bradham said that Judas could go along until he reached that spot just before Pentecost, and then he fell away. I tell you what, church, that's what you don't want to do. You don't want to repeat what Judas did. Amen, that you go along with the message and you go along with his truth until you come to Pentecost and then you fall off. Amen. But the real seed of God will go all the way through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost and be endued with power from on high. It won't be just an intellectual conception. It won't be just a, a passing on of doctrine. It'll be the life of Christ coming down into the individual and changing their lives. Amen. Then you want to take one or two quotes? and misinterpret it and negate hundreds of other quotes that tells us like this one did, we're identified with him in Acts 2. We're identified with them with the same baptism, same thing, and then all he was or is and all he was and all he is we are, that she is to be the same bride. I'm repeating myself. I'm quoting it again, the same bride, the same kind, built out of the same kind of material that she was in the first place. Amen. Read Malachi 4 and see we're not supposed to have a message in the last day that will turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers, back to the original Pentecostal message, word by word. Can I stare with you from Feast of the Trumpets, but in the last days, how many believes we're in the last days? That's where we ought to be in the sheet music. It is, it is what's supposed to be revealed again because we find the scripture in Malachi 4, there's to be an anointing come down and to restore again that original faith, to bring back the faith of the people back to the original Pentecost, the faith of the fathers. Amen. Again, he would say in the same message, he said, now, now Malachi 4, we see here that's supposed to be done to restore what the faith of the people back to the original fathers, the Pentecostal doctrine, the original fathers, and he will restore the people back to the fathers. That's our message. That's what Elijah was to do. It was to turn your heart back to the faith 
of the Pentecostal fathers. Back to the message. Amen. Now, so let me, let me just again say, don't misapply this quote that said, the word that fell on the day of Pentecost won't work this day. No, sir, that was for Pentecost. This is for the bride, the going home of the bride. We got something different. The Pentecostals represented that again. We're in the bride age. So again, I ask, what word is it? What word is it that will not work? And Brother Branham explains this for he says, this is the going home of the bride. Now you see, when it fell on the day of Pentecost, it was to produce a seed that would go down in the ground and it would decay and it would rot and it would die and it would come up again because God had future ages that there was come, but we're out of ages. And we're not back to where Pentecost was to start the ages over again. We are here back to Pentecost to go in the garner in a rapture. Amen. This is for the bride, the going home of the bride. And that's what our prophet was trying to tell us. That is not a stopping place. Amen. The Susan Street stopped back there. Amen. They just rallied around and enjoyed a, a little bit of the fruits of it. Never ever went into the depths of it. But this message takes you into the depth of Pentecost. It brings you back to the faith. The original doctrine. Word by word. So the Pentecostals would represent just coming up and perpetuating another age. A cycle of revival and death, they would represent that again. But we're not here to rep- represent a cycle of revival and death. We are here to represent, we are here to break the cycles. Every age has went down into death and it's time. Is somebody with me? Amen. But this age is not going down into death. This bright age is for a rapture. Hallelujah for quickening power to so quicken you that it changes you from the inside out. It changes your attitude. It changes you from sin. It makes a real believer out of it. It puts a faith on the inside of you. But more than that, it's going to quicken your mortal body and change you from, hallelujah, in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. We are not here to perpetuate another age. We got something different. There's something different promised for us than it was even the book of Acts church. We're promised a rapture. Hallelujah. We received the last message and the last messenger. Now, the Azusa Pentecostals represented that again. Revival and death, organizing and dying again, and forming up another denomination. When, when we see message, people do it with message cults today and they form organizations so tight that people can't even fellowship with each other are you with me amen you know you know it gets their their cult gets so tight you know they they can't even cooperate with you to print a book 
of the name of Jesus Christ and, and, and the original sin and the five comings of Elijah. They can't do it. They're kind of like the Pentecostals who wouldn't loan Brother Branham chairs for a meeting because, you know, because um, uh, they, they didn't agree because it, it wasn't in their organization. But I'm telling you, the Word of God's going to go on anyhow. Hallelujah. It will prosper anyhow. You can try to put snags in the way. You can try to stop it, but it ain't going to be stopped. I'm going to tell you this bride is not going and and digressing and going backwards. This bride is going forward. She's marching on. Hallelujah. And as Brother Bradham saw the other women go down, he said, I saw this one. As she come up to that brink of the hill, this one didn't go down. This one started up. Hallelujah, you've already been seen in the vision. You're not going down. You're not a part of the fallen world. Hallelujah, but you're rising up. Let me tell you this morning, you are rising up. There ain't no devil big enough that can hold you down. There ain't enough power of hell that can stop this bride. She is an unstoppable bride. The virgin bride of Jesus Christ washed in the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, if, now here's where we're going to get into a little teaching. Because I brought a little preaching to start with, but I want to bring in a little teaching. If the Bible had ended at Pentecost, we would not have the word as given to Paul. Somebody help me preach. Paul was needed as a messenger to divide law from grace. Is everybody with me now? At Pentecost, the Holy Ghost had fallen upon Jews only. The mystery of the Gentile bride was not yet even given. The revelation of predestination wasn't given. The, The revelation of eternal security wasn't given. And if this was to be a restoration that all we were restored to was to be be baptized and receive the Holy Ghost, that many of the mystery truths would still be missing from the church. Now, writing to the Corinthians, Paul said, and in 1 Corinthians 4, he said, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ as stewards of the mysteries of God. So there were mysteries that were being made known in that day. Now, let me tell you, this prophet that God sent in this day did not come and bring us new revelation. He brought us the light shown on the scripture. We do not have to add another book to our Bible. And the message God sent is not an addition to the Bible. Amen. It, it, is, it is a message that God sent to a prophet to point us back to what the true absolute is. So therefore, the real bride, the real believer is going to have the same absolute that Brother Branham had, and that's the Bible. Amen? And this is what our prophet did. Everything that we believe comes from this word. 
All right? Now, I, I know maybe some might question, well, brother, brother Tim, what about the revelation of the seals and the revelation of the seven thunders, which were the mysteries contained in the seals? That, was a, that of course, was a revelation left unto this day. But it did not, it did not give us something that was not in the Word. It, gave, it just uncovered what was already in the Word, but had been hid because of the confusion of the denominational ages. All right? So now, because again, this message is a restoration. Hallelujah. Now, you know, I would take that individually. I wouldn't just take that to the message and say, well, the message, if you are, if you're part of this message, it's a restoration. Sister Doretha, it's a restoration for your family. Do you hear me? Amen. It's a restoration. Amen. You're, in the, you're, you're sick in your body. It's a restoration for your health. This message is restoration on every level. If you've lost your peace, it's the restoration for your peace. If you lost your children out in the world, it's the restoration for your children. I, I'm trying to get something to you. It's not just a restoration of doctrine. It is a restoration of every blessing and promise of God. If it's healing, if it's deliverance, if it's salvation for the lost, it is restoration. Hear the word of the Lord. I will restore, saith the Lord. Problem may be too big for you, but it ain't too big for my God. For there's nothing too hard for the Lord. But now... Paul would speak of what he called my gospel, which he calls the revelation of the mystery. And this, he said, it had been kept secret until since the world began, but is now made manifest. It was a revelation that was promised to Paul at his conversion, which uh, comprises the mysteries of God. Acts 26, 18, he was, he was called to open their, their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and the inheritance of them among them which are sanctified by the faith that is in me. I'll tell you again, you ought to shout it all over that verse. Because, amen, it is to open up their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, amen, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. So this is to give you an inheritance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, not only was Paul to teach the, the Gentiles forgiveness of sin, turn them from the power of Satan, but he was to give them details of their inheritance. The fullness of the land. So, you know, again, we could take, like Jericho was the entrance into the promised land, the upper room is the entrance into every blessing of God, into the full inheritance. And as Jericho must be first taken, so must the upper room be first taken. But remember, we're not to stay at Jericho. We're to conquer the whole land. 
All right? Now, some of these things, the ones at Pentecost, that they've got the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, were still trying to wrap their minds around some of these things that Paul would bring. Some of it, they're yet ignorant to it. Revelation hasn't dawned. They had not fully grasped them. Now, this, this, is, this, is, this is where, you know, Azusa Street would come up and they could see some of the gifts of the Spirit. They wouldn't even go on into the full baptism of the Holy Ghost, but have an anointing which would anoint their spirit and they'd jump and scream and shout. And, and yet wouldn't go on into the fullness, and they stayed right there. And Brother Brandon would talk about them. He said, you're like, like Israel who can pass the mountain for 40 years. And he, God would finally say, you, you've been around this, this mountain long enough. You've been here at Acts 2 and 4. All of this time, it's time to go forward. Amen. Possess the whole land. Amen. Now, so, but a mystery in the New Testament sense is not something that cannot be understood. You get that thought. It's not something you can't understand, but it's a plan or purpose of God that has been made known to him from the beginning, but he has withheld it from the knowledge of man until the time came for him to reveal it. So God would hold back things until the hour that is to be revealed. Now, of course... There, uh, let's just go over some of these things. Some of these are very simple now because you understand them. And you, you've grasped these things a long time ago. But here at Pentecost, many of these were not fully understanding. I would say some were grasping it, some were not. Some were partially grasping it, and they weren't seeing the fullness of it. But he's, he talks about in First uh, Timothy 316, without, great, without controversy, great is the mystery. So he talks about the mystery of godliness. How that God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seed of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, and received up in the glory. So now, you know, it's no mystery that God should reveal himself by speaking from the heavens like he did on Mount Sinai but that he should take on human form and tabernacle among us. That was a great mystery. And, and even, even them, they, you know, they, after the crucifixion and resurrection, for the hardness of heart and unbelief, they just couldn't hardly believe what had went on. Are you with me? Amen. So, you know, they, they, they would say, show us the Father. And he said, Philip, if I've been so long with you and you don't know me, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Because they were having difficulty understanding the mystery, the mystery of the incarnation, that God was in Christ. And they would, it would be sometimes like clouds, you know, um, you know, some, one time I heard a minister say something, and he said, you know, Brother Tim, you preached today, and he said, I saw the picture clearly. He said, I've been up in the clouds, and he said, you know, like you're flying over. Sometimes you see the ground, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you see, and sometimes you get a glimpse, and sometimes you don't. But today we saw the picture clear. Now, that's what God was doing. He, was bringing, he wanted to bring by the Apostle Paul the clarity that was needed, where they're not just getting a little glimpse of his deity, but to know that he indeed is God. 
You know, we have people in the message today that can't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. And Brother Branham said, you can't even get the first base unless you believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, so, so again, I mean, he says some very, very strong and straight things about it. And, and, and men today get to looking at it and, and they don't even have, they, they hadn't even come back to Paul's gospel where there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Instead, they got two Lords. Now, God sent a message to bring us back to Pentecost. Because when you really get the Holy Ghost, then you have ears that can understand and eyes that can see. And this is the problem that we have today is so many are not filled with the Holy Ghost. Therefore, they're carried away with every kind of wind of doctrine and come up with every kind of idea that the prophet of God never preached. Although they'll find one or two quotes that will, you know, that is outweighed by a thousand others that they'll take and slant it to their doctrine. That's not what the message was for. The message was to bring us into our inheritance where we know who God is. Now, there is a mystery of incarnation. Now, so, so again, there's a mystery of the indwelling of Christ. I'll tell you, I'll tell you sometimes, I don't think even as, you know, Holy Ghost filled people, that we really grasp the mystery of the indwelling of Christ. Colossians 1.26, he speaks of this mystery. We'll read down through 28, uh, Abigail. So put it up first, uh, first or, uh, Colossians, I meant, 126. And he said, even the mystery which was hid from ages... And from generation is now made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Did you, did you hear what he said? I mean, if you, when you, if you could just really wrap your minds or your heart around this scripture, Christ dwells in me. Therefore, I can overcome. I mean, Christ dwells in me. Therefore, I can forgive. Christ dwells in me. Therefore, I can move on in my life and I can be, uh, rise above this situation. Christ dwells in me. Christ dwells in me. Therefore, that sickness is subject to the Word of God that dwells on the inside of me. The mystery of the indwelling of Christ. This is the mystery of the new birth. The mystery of this union that is a union of identity. We're just as much a part of Christ. As the members of the body are part of the body. So just as much as my hand is a part of my body, you're you're that much a part of Christ. Amen. You are his hands. You are his feet. You are his mouth. You are his eyes. You are the body that he's working through. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. If you can just get a revelation of that this morning, then you'll know there's no power, no enemy, no weapon that is formed against you can prosper.
They didn't understand the mystery that Jesus taught, even of the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. But when the Jews rejected Christ and thus prevented the setting up of the reign of the son of David and the millennial reign, the kingdom took on another form. It was a mystery form. And so the kingdom became a mystery. And so Jesus would talk about it and he would use parables to describe this mystery because he said it's not given to them to understand, but it's you to understand you're part of a kingdom. Hallelujah. There's a mystery of the union of the Jews and the Gentiles in one body called the church. Paul would, would say that by revelation, God made to him, known to him this mystery. You see, at Pentecost, that was a bunch of Jews that had received the Holy Ghost. The Gentiles didn't get it to the house of Cornelia. And then they were shocked that the Gentiles got the Holy Ghost just like they did at the beginning. Because, you see, they didn't even realize at Pentecost it was going to be poured out upon all flesh. So then there again, you know, you know, when we say, well, we're just going to go back. We're just going to go back to Pentecost or repeat of that. No, we're, we're not just coming back to the upper room experience. We're coming into our inheritance. This Holy Ghost opens up every divine promise to us. Are you with me? There would be the mystery of Israel's blindness. The blindness in part which has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. Paul called this a mystery. It was unknown until Paul preached it. So God's blinded them for, your, for the Gentiles' sake. Now he said, you know, you're the wild olive branch. Don't boast against the branch. He said, it's grace that puts you in there. But there's coming a time God's going to restore Israel. Now, there's a mystery of the seven stars and the seven candlesticks as revealed to John. I'm trying to give you some things to understand that the book of Acts Church in, the, in its beginnings did not understand. But we have understanding today to help us to know where we come from and where we're going. What age that we're in so we know what part of the sheet music we're in. All right, so, brother, you know, as it says to the apostle John, was revealed the mystery of the seven stars and the seven golden candlesticks. He was told that seven stars stood for seven angels or messengers of the seven churches in Asia Minor, and the seven candlesticks stood for the seven churches themselves. And this, this mystery of these candlesticks lay in the fact that the seven churches were representative churches whose history was typical of the history of the Christian church for the past 2,000 years. And the mystery could not be understood until this present time right now. So now, there's also another mystery. I'm just going over some of these things. That, that the upper room church, the Pentecostal church, needed to come into understanding. You, you see... Um, Azusa Street would come that far and reach on the edge of it and think we've arrived. This is all there is to it. And so they shouted around that mountain for years and years and years. They're still shouting around it. They're still praying and calling to God for another Azusa Street and that'll never happen. They can't bring it up. They can't revive something that's already dead. But you have the privilege to experience 
all that Pentecost is and all that the book of Acts church had. What a blessed people you are. Do you realize prophets and sages and wise men have longed to see your day and was not able to see them? But blessed are your ears for you hear and your eyes for they see. And that you're not going around and around the mountain shouting, but you are moving forward into your inheritance, coming to know that Christ really dwells in me. And it's a power over sin and darkness. There is another mystery. It's a great mystery that they didn't know. It was a mystery that Paul would disclose in Ephesians 5.22, where he said this mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, that the first Adam had a bride, Eve, and the second or the last Adam must have a bride, and she's the church. Amen? And as husband and wife, so we know then the groom is coming for a bride. So there's got to be somebody in harmony with him. But again, they didn't understand that God was calling the people out of the Gentiles for his name's sake to be married to. There again, the mystery of the translation of the saints, of the living saints. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of, the eye, of an eye at the last trump. And here your prophet, as he is departing, preaches the message, the rapture, to tell you that that is something that is ongoing. Amen. That the Spirit of God has come down and used a prophet and a vessel to bring forth a shout and a message to gather the elect together. Hallelujah. But now that very word has become the voice of a resurrection. And the first ones out of the grave, out of dark, cold denominationalism, has risen from the grave. And you're no longer in a Baptist tomb or a Methodist tomb or a Pentecostal tomb, but you rose out of there to show Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Behold, I show you a mystery. And you are part of that mystery. Shall I say you are that mystery? Can I say you are all of these mysteries? It is your inheritance. This is one of the most wonderful of all mysteries. Because it's something that reason can never dream about. Amen. It's that reason and the common lot of man is that you're going to die. But oh my to be taken off of this earth and translated into heaven without dying was never thought of until revealed to Paul, just shown in a couple of types of the scripture like Enoch, Elijah, and so on. But here Paul brings it and he says, it's your inheritance. Amen. You see, these are things that they hadn't yet come to know. The mystery of iniquity. It was already at work in Paul's day. There's a mystery of godliness, amen, that God is manifest in the flesh. How many believes that? Yes, 
then there's got to be the mystery of iniquity where Satan is manifested in the flesh. Right? And so today, the amount of sin has been uncovered by the resurrected Christ, by the message of the hour, so that we know who the man of sin is. And we know where he's working. We understand that by the symbology in the book of Revelation has been revealed to us because God's in a prophet in this day and hour. Not just to leave you, not just to leave you shouting and screaming and, and having the Holy Ghost and yet under Jewish law and, Jew, and Jewish dogmas and ideas of the past ages. But God in particular was wanting you to bring you into the revelation of the mystery where that you would understand this is my day, this is my hour, and we're on this page. The mystery of Babylon the Great shown in the, in the book of Revelation chapter 17. These are, these are just some of the mysteries. I, I'm not even, when, I hadn't even covered half of, of the things that, that, that was not clearly understood at Pentecost. Some things had not yet been given, so were not yet known. Do you know God is so mindful of you? He left you the last book of the Bible. The first, all the first chapters of the Bible, all the first books of the New Testament, amen, included all ages. Is somebody with me? Concluded Paul and Irenaeus, Martin, Columba, Luther. But God had a book reserved just for you. That he veiled it in symbology. That it would not be understood until the days of the voice of the seventh angel. And when he begins to sound, then the mysteries of God would be finished. So God having something better for you because he wanted you, listen, not to come into part inheritance, but into full inheritance. Are you with me now? So to only restore us to Pentecost would not be enough. We would still be a bunch of Jews with the Holy Ghost still circumcising on the eighth day, abstaining from certain meats, adhering to certain Jewish laws, thinking the Sabbath day was a true rest, and on and on and on and on. But God wanted more for you than that. He would come and say, that was only typing your inheritance. That seventh day is not your inheritance. The seventh day is the Holy Ghost. And that's what I wanted to bring you into where you rest from sin. And you enter into a a rest that you never quit resting. You're not laboring anymore. You don't have to struggle against it anymore. Hallelujah. Something on the inside of you that changes you from darkness to life. Now, your Pentecost in the upper room experience was the doorway to all of these mysteries. I think you hung up on me. Now you're just waiting for what else I'm going to say. So you see, Pentecost was the doorway to all of these mysteries, all of these truths. But the, and now let me back up and just say these mysteries will do a person no good 
until he comes through the doorway of Pentecost. You can understand all the mysteries. Even having signs and wonders and shouting. You know, you know, you hear a lot today, you know, against shouting and speaking in tongues and gifts of the Spirit and things like that and, and say, well, you know, I, I'd rather just have, you know, we have perfect love than that which is in part is done, done away with. I'll, I'll agree. I'll agree that we do. That when that which is perfect come, that which is in part is done away with. In other words, when that which is perfect is come, just having part of it is done away with. Because how could you have the perfect and a part's missing? So that which is perfect has come, meaning that the time of just having part is done away with. We're beyond that. Loser would have a part, and Wesley would have a part, and Pentecost would have a part. I'm talking about Azusa Street, but you don't just have a part. Hallelujah. You don't just have a part. That which is perfect has come to do away with only having part anymore. Hallelujah. You don't have to be behind on one thing that God promised in his word. You can have every divine promise. It is your inheritance. Hallelujah. But we hear a lot about it. You know, well, that, uh, you know, just love and, you know, well, first of all, love is the Holy Ghost. That's what divine love is. Brother Brandon, when he went beyond the curtain of time, he said, this is what you preach was the Holy Ghost. So it is divine love. Some of you will say, pray for me, Brother Tim. I need, I'm lacking divine love. Well, no, you're not lacking it. You just need to use it. Amen. You got it. Amen. It's there. It might not have been used for a while. But open up the can. Amen. Open up the door and let it come out. You can love. Hello, somebody. Is that right? You got the Holy Ghost. Now, sometimes you're, you're, having to, you're having to struggle with an issue in your life or maybe with a person in your life, and, 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 and it takes a little while, but you can do it. <laughs> you can do it. You can love because God is love, and God's in you, and you can do it. Amen. But let me get to my thought now. You know, well, you know, all these other things is done away with. Well, then what about knowledge? Where there's knowledge, it shall cease. You know, if I have, you know, if I have faith to move mountains, if I have gifts, if I have this, you know, what if I'm able to understand all mysteries and don't have the Holy Ghost? Come on, let's get it all in there. Not just our favorite part we want to do away with. Amen. But understanding the mysteries. Amen. Because, because again, these mysteries will do you no good 
until you come to the doorway of Pentecost. And let me tell you something else. You know, you can stand around the door and shout and scream and run the aisles and not come to that door of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and be on the outside running the aisles and screaming and manifesting some fleshly manifestation. He'll do you no good until you come through that door of repentance of dying to yourself and being filled with the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Maybe we'll have a better preacher Wednesday night. We'll try it one more time. Listen here. Trying to do God's service without without his will. I'm going to share you again this quote. Here's the second one. Now let's see what happened when God in his time and his age and his prophets are not considered they just depend on theology, priests, denominationalism like we do today. Now closely, it all gets messed up. If the true spirit of God's there, it'll direct it into the word, not just one place in the word. The entire word for the entire age. The day of Pentecost, the spirit directed it right into that, Joel 2.38, which he means 28, because there's not 38 verses. And so, so he said he directed it right into Joel 2, 28. The day of Luther, it directed it right into that. And of course, that was the scripture, the just shall live by faith. Wesley, in this last Pentecostal move, but this is another age. This is a calling out of the bride, not 2,000 years ago at Pentecost, or the repeat, or the return. Pentecost. So now, let's just understand. Let's, because we believe what this prophet said. We're not just returning to Pentecost. We're on our way to full redemption. The redemption of body, the spirit, and soul. And yet, the upper room experience, the Holy Ghost is the door to full redemption. Brother Brandon would talk about Mary. And then, you know, there was a Catholic woman, and, and she was making fun of, of um, the people dancing in the spirit and shouting and rejoicing and, and said, uh, you know, and she was mocking him, sitting there going to write an interview with Brother Branham uh, and interviewing him, and, and she was writing some things, and she was just mocking that. And he said, well, would it, would it interest you to know that the Virgin Mary was in the upper room and danced and shouted just like that. And he said, if you ever get to heaven, you're going to have to do the same thing too. (laughs) Amen. Now, but we're not just returning to Pentecost. We are on our way back to full redemption. And let me just say, this is not the birth of the church. This is when a mature church becomes the bride that unites with the groom in spirit, word, and attitude, and finally unites with him in the air. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. It was but a deposit. Now, this is is something that most people don't grasp. That it is a deposit. 
or it's the earnest of our inheritance. So it indicates that when we receive the deposit, there is more to come than just receiving the Holy Ghost. The earnest is a deposit on the inheritance until the fullness comes. All right? Okay, you hung up on me again. I'm going to try to connect you back. Stay with me. This is not, this is not hard to get. Amen. Brother Philip, you can get it. Amen. He's sitting on the edge of his seat, so I know he's getting it. Amen. You see, let me say it again. You see, there is more to it because when we receive the deposit, it indicates that there is more to come. When you get the Holy Ghost, it is a deposit of more. Amen. The earnest is a deposit on the inheritance until the fullness comes. Now, let me give you some scripture. This is Paul's teaching. 2 Corinthians 1.22. Who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. All right? So he tells us he sealed us and gave us the earnest. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 5, he kind of repeats this thought again. Now, he that wrought for, hath wrought for us, this, uh, us for the same thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. So the earnest is a promise of what is to come. For example, I decide to buy something from you, and you, you want a price of $1,000. Well, until, I can, until you know, the transition can be made, let's say it's on the weekend, we can't get to the bank, we can't get the cash that is needed, but I got $100. So I put $100 down on it. It's the guarantee that there's more coming. It is not what, what we're wanting, it's just part of what we're wanting. Amen. Now, so the church fell from being what it was originally in the book of Acts, and yet they had received a deposit, and there was said there was more coming. But instead of going on into the fullness of the word, they began to fall away. Now, let me just say here, and I'm racing against that clock, there, there are seven, only seven ages. Understand, there are only seven ages. There's only seven horns on the lamb. There's not an eighth one called the bride age, but rather this last age is the bride age where God is pulling a bride out of the nominal church for his namesake because he said, I will build a church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So no matter what happens here in Laodicea, he's already said, Satan ain't winning. Hallelujah. Amen. So this bride is not going to go down into defeat. She is leaving here in victory. And Jesus said, I will build a church. And he don't get down to the last age and say, okay, I'll just trash my whole plan and forget the whole plan and, and, and do something different. I'll have a bride that will, won't be a part of the ages. No, the bride is under the seventh angel's message. Under the seventh angel messenger. And she is the overcomer spoke in Revelation 3, 14 through 22, where he says, 
that they will sit with me on my throne. Yes, there is. He speaks to both the false and the true. So he speaks to some. You're, 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 you say you're rich and increase of goods and have need of nothing, but you're blind, wretched, naked, and don't know it. But he didn't say that about you. Did you hear what I said? He did not say that you were going to be a lukewarm church. He said you would be an overcoming church that would rise above the evils of the age. Hallelujah. You're not going to succumb to sin. Sin will be under your feet. For the God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet. Because he called you to be a serpent bruiser, a devil defeater right here in this last evil age. You are in Satan's Eden, but you're not of Satan's Eden. So what he's coming for is a bride who is a church. And this church is a part of his body. She is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. She is life of his life and power of his power. She is that for she is spirit of his spirit. Brother Branham would say in the resume of the ages, as the first Adam was given a bride fresh from the hand of God and was undefiled for a brief span, so was Christ, the last Adam, given a bride pure and fresh at Pentecost, and she remained separate and undefiled for some time. And God's bringing the people back to that same place. A bride that is... That is that is undefiled, amen, hallelujah, you know in every age they got defiled by men's wisdom, you know, you know why the whore is called a whore, because she took in the seeds of another man, of a lover that wasn't Christ, so she's called a whore, but this bride is a virgin bride, she's not a whore, she doesn't defile herself, amen, she is that people at the end time for a brief span, hallelujah, who that, that, that is a bride that was given just like the bride was given at Pentecost, pure and fresh, and she is separate and defi- undefiled, but this time she won't be defiled. Did you hear what I said? Brother Branham will tell us in Christ the mystery, this bride will not be deceived. And he said there have been churches, churches, brides, brides, but there will come one that will be the word. She'll not just have the mechanics, but she'll have the dynamics to go with it. Oh, hallelujah, I feel like running through a troop right now and leaping over a wall because this bride is a bride who is a balanced bride. She has the mechanics, she's got the word, and she's got the Holy Ghost that goes with that word. Hallelujah, therefore she is power of his power and life of his life. She is him. Hallelujah, she is that predestinated, ordained copy of himself. When he looks at her, he sees himself in bride form. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And our day, the book of Revelation becomes very relevant to us. One relevant to the other ages. If I could submit to you, 
Paul wouldn't even know the book of Revelation. It'd be written after he's gone. Another, another title of the book of Revelation is the Apocalypse, which means a disclosure of knowledge or the lifting of a veil or the unveiling. It was written in symbols because it wasn't wrote for that time. But when it became time, what had been only known in symbols should be revealed. Brother Branham would tell us in the church age book, you're familiar with this, but the book of Revelation shows how the Antichrist spirit would come into the church and defile it, making it lukewarm, formal, and powerless. So it would be not only the history of the church as it come up through the ages, but it also would show the Antichrist spirit as it would come into the church and would have, how it would defile it and it would make it lukewarm, formal, and powerless. Which, unfortunately, is a description of many churches today. You can find the words of John Peter Paul saying that the Antichrist is here already. It was already working in the church. Paul said that the Lord would not come until there was a falling away first. Now, I know we expect there will be a falling away in the end time, but actually the falling away would begin much earlier than the end time, although we do see people fall away, no doubt. But yet there is, it would start in the very first age, falling away. And the book of Revelation would show how far that virgin church would fall. For it shows in chapter 18 how the great whore that sat upon many waters that she prostituted herself and made others drunk with the wine of her fornication until the whole world drinks from her cup. And so it would show how a virgin church would so fall away until it would become a whore. But not all, thank God. Because God says the gates of hell will not prevail against his true church. So again, there are, there are three things we don't want to fulfill. <laughs> At least these three things that I'm talking about, lukewarm, formal, and powerless. And I can show you in the Bible that there are Laodiceans who will overcome the lukewarm form and powerless spirit, and they're going to rise up above that. And Jesus was already speaking about that church in the first age. And he would say concerning his bride in the first age, and I'm quoting, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. And so as she fell, she fell away from the true birth and true Pentecost and what the church was in the book of Acts. And, you know, many, many come and embrace the message with a, a past view of wherever they come out of. Some will have a Baptist view of it or a Presbyterian view or a Catholic view or a Pentecostal view. And so, you know, they, because in Acts chapter 15, you remember there was certain of the brothers which of the Pharisees which believed, who said we must keep the law of Moses and they was trying to force circumcision. 
And you remember, so there were certain believers who were still Pharisees. So it goes to show you that this can be the danger of the last day that many will come and be called believers when in fact they're still Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, whatever they were, and they've never died to their past thinking. And, and so you can see a digression because right within the church, there were already those, you can see the book of Galatians is written um, you know, to, to those who were being bewitched. There was an evil spirit that was in the church. And it was bewitching the people away from the true teaching of the gospel. And, and so Paul would deal with the Galatians very strongly and say, if an angel came from heaven and would preach anything other than what I preach, let him be accursed. Paul didn't play games. He called things what they were. But nevertheless, the first age would go and he would say, there are among you, 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 know, I have, I, you know, this thou hast that you have said to those who say they're apostles and are not, and you have found them liars. Because they wouldn't say in what Paul said, the messenger of the age. So already the Antichrist spirit was working. Paul would say, I fear that you will accept another Jesus that I have not preached. Another Jesus that is not of the Bible. I fear that as a serpent beguiled Eve, so will you be deceived and be seduced by his subtlety. And, and he told them very clearly the same sin that happened in the garden would happen to them, that, that they would be seduced and they would lose their virginity. If you read it in the Bible, Paul is very clear because Paul knew exactly what the fall in the garden was about. Now, this falling away was already happened, as Paul would say, that after my departure, there will be grievous wolves that will enter in among you, not sparing the flock. John would say, little children, it's the last time, and you've heard the Antichrist shall come, and even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know it's the last time. He would also say, Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist which you've heard that it would, should come and is even now already in the world. So they're already dealing with it. Working in the church. And this would continue to progress until you come to the Laodicean age where Jesus would be on the outside of the church knocking, having been prevented from entering. An invitation given then that if any man would open the door, hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sit with him and he with me. And this made the Holy Spirit shut out from the, from the church by the doors of creeds and dogmas. We touched on this Wednesday night when I preached on woman thou art loosed. And, and, and there Brother Branham would, would show in Revelation 9 Spirits that were held captive, and 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 in the river Euphrates, which all of this is symbolic, and I won't get into all the symbols again this morning, although we could. And we, you know, and and yet they were bound at the river Euphrates, trying to cross into the Promised Land because Euphrates was also one of the rivers. Uh, that were the original borders to the promised land. So they're trying to get in the promised land, but they're bound. 
And Brother Branham would say that the Holy Spirit has also been bound likewise. And he said it's been bound under martyrdom, in other words, by killing out the true believers and sequestering the truth and replacing it with creeds, that it would bind the working of the Holy Ghost in the church. And he said it hadn't been bound in the river Euphrates, but it's been bound at the door of creeds and dogmas. That the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit cannot work in the church because of man-made systems. But she's going to be liberated. She's coming back. That's what the Bible said. And these two will meet one another on the battlefield, Lucifer and Michael again, like in the beginning. And they've been bound for almost 2,000 years. Then he says again in Feast of the Trumpet, oh, he said, my, the Holy Spirit has been bound by these denominations all these 2,000 years. Now, let's just understand, it is not that the Holy Spirit has not been here since the day of Pentecost, but that people have not been receiving the full benefits of the Holy Ghost through the ages because the creeds and dogmas of men were keeping that from the church. And creeds and dogmas bound the Holy Spirit from working in the church. Amen. Now, One might think, well, how could a church do that when the Holy Ghost is so great and so powerful and he's omnipotent and he could force himself upon anyone, anywhere? But I want you to look at Laodicea again that we just described. Laodicea shows Jesus standing at the door and knocking and asking for entrance. He's outside the church, prevented from entering. Why don't he just force his way in? Why, he's all-powerful. He's omnipotent, amen, he, but yet he's not in there. He's on the outside, yet they're still singing about him. They're still talking about him. They're talking about he walked the shores of Galilee and how he healed the sick, how he died on the cross and rose on the third day and what he was yesterday, but they don't know him in present tense. You see, Satan really don't care how much you can seek God of 2,000 years ago or even 50 years ago if you miss your day and your visitation. And the Holy Spirit, the church, has bound by, the, by creeds and dogmas, bound the Holy Spirit from working in the church. Now, you, you remember we, we talked about the whore in the book of Revelation. She hated her husband, the word, and even under martyrdom, killed out those true believers who received the Spirit. And this persecution of the saints and the proliferation of creeds and dogmas of man bound the Holy Spirit from having the right of way in the church. And God would pour out His Spirit again. But they would only go so far before prostituting themselves again. Do you realize the Bible speaks of not only a whore, but also speaks of harlots, which are daughters of the whore. That church systems would rise up and turn out to be just like Mama Rome would. Are you with and go to prostituting themselves and forming another denomination, making another harlot daughter to the whore. Are you with me? This is Bible. The whore had daughters that had the same behavior as she did. She became the great whore. Her daughters were harlots. 
which means they prostituted themselves by taking in the seed of someone who was not their husband. Amen. Which should have been Christ. Amen. The womb of the church should be reserved for Christ only. Not for theology. Not for seminaries. Not for ideas of man. Not for denominational teaching. But for the pure, unadulterated word of God. Are you with me? Amen. So therefore, they would prostitute themselves, taking in the seed of someone that was not a husband, claiming to be married to Christ, the bridegroom, claiming to give the word preeminence. I'll tell you what, you can find out how quick that, that people are in that shape. You, you ask them something, uh, you know, they ask, you ask people today about something in the Bible, you show them something in the Bible and say, well, our church don't believe it that way. And you can show them right in the word of God what the husband, the groom said, and it's set aside for what the woman says, the church. You see, even the Catholic church is adamant about that. Don't even read your Bible. It's not what the Bible said, it's what the church says. And really, that's what they all say. Because they've all set up their own little creed books. Of we believe this and we believe this and our church believes it. You show them in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 11 that a man is to have short hair and a woman is to have uncut hair. What do they say? Our church don't believe that. Amen. But the Bible said it. Amen. You show in the Bible about the, the age of sodomites. You show about the cross dressing. You know, it's got so where it just kind of grew in on us, you know, little by little, kind of like the, the proverbial frog, you know, in the, in, the, in the water, and it's just turned up, and he just sits there, and, he, and the next thing you know, he's boiling. But you know, if you go back 150 years ago or less than that, you wouldn't find women out in men's clothes. Everybody knew it was wrong. But the days of Sodom is here. And yet you have some of them other people, they'll look out there and see a man in high heels and, and a dress and a mini skirt and paint it up. And they say, eh. and, they, and they're standing there with bobbed hair and pants on. And they, they don't realize they're, they're the mirror of what he is in a woman as he is as a man. But you show them in the Bible that a woman is not to put on apparel that, that uh, to wear an apparel that pertains to a man, and a man is not to put on a woman's garment. And you show that in the Bible. Well, our church don't believe that. Why? Because the church word has been taken over God's word. And when the church started with Tertullian back in 325 A.D., when the Catholic Church changed the baptism from the name of the Lord Jesus Christ into Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you go read the history. You'll find that's a Roman Catholic baptism. Amen. Because there's nobody anywhere in any place in the Bible that was ever baptized other than in the name of Jesus Christ. They knew, what, they knew exactly what Jesus said when he said, go baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He didn't say titles and he didn't say names. He said the name. And Peter did that. And Paul preached that. 
And it happened at the house of Cornelius. And it happened at Romans, I mean, Acts 19. It happened all through the Bible. There's no place anywhere, anywhere in all the Bible where anybody was ever baptized any other way than in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Taken on his name. A wife takes on his name. That's the family name. It's the only name given among men whereby men might be saved. But you see, Satan got in the church and he distorted the truth. And he made a trinity of gods to fit the heathens. When this is a one God Bible. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Hallelujah. But you see, it would, you know, the Holy Spirit was kept from working in its fullness. And so it would work perhaps as Luther got a dip of the Spirit through justification. But before they could be sanctified, why, well, they become an organized church upon their creeds and became a system of man. Wesley received another portion, even greater than Luther, a dip of the Spirit, where the Holy Spirit sanctified them and brought them into a holy life. But before the Methodists could fully be restored into the fullness of the Spirit, they slammed the doors of creeds and dogmas, which, which hindered them from receiving the Holy Ghost in his fullness. Then on Azusa Street, there was another outpouring of the Spirit, and the same thing repeated. And so this has made the Holy Spirit bound by denominational rivers for almost 2,000 years, for seven church ages. But again, I want you to hear it, but in the evening time, it is to be loosed. It is released by the evening time message. Amen. The Holy Spirit back in the church again, God revealing himself in human flesh in the evening time. And that's where we're at again. Hallelujah. We have returned back to the land of Pentecost. Where the Holy Spirit is now released and not held back by creeds and dogmas of man, but of people now coming back into their full inheritance. Partial redemption is given away to full redemption. I say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, what a promise that is. For he says now, and let me just tell you, no matter what the enemy has tried to do, God has said, I will restore. Let it be my message out to you and across the lands today. We have a message that God has released a word and he said, I will restore. All the years that the canker worm and the caterpillar and all the, all the, the, the army that has ate down the bride tree, God said, I'm going to bring that tree back to its original condition again. Amen. That there will be a bride stand in the end time. Hallelujah. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the palmer worm and my great army which I sent among you and it shall come to pass afterward. Amen. Are you with me? Is somebody with me? 
Amen. I'm going to send the restoration, but I, it shall come to pass after I send this restoration. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handsmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Hallelujah. That's the page that we're on. Amen. It's still Joel 2.28. Amen. I will restore, saith the Lord. I'll pour out my spirit. Amen. He's taking that and he's dumping it all out. Luther got their portion. Wesley got their portion. Pentecost got their portion. Is everybody with me? But today. All that was in Christ comes into the church. The fullness of him. Amen. This is the day where he's finishing the pouring out. Hallelujah. Stand together with me, please. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm in this church. It's a glorious church. I didn't join. I was born. I've had a new birth. Some glorious day, I'm going to sail away. Amen. This whole world can't hold me. Hallelujah, I am from another world. I come from God. I'm going back to God. Hallelujah, I have returned back to the promised land. We have returned back to the book of Acts. We have returned back to Paul's gospel. We have come back to where the mystery are now revealed in bride form. And you are that mystery of Christ revealed. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm in this church, this glorious church. I didn't join. I was born at a new 